Our gospel lessons this morning both come from the book of Matthew, the first from the second chapter and the second one from the 21st chapter. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. And the second lesson. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Thanks be to God. Thank you, George. The first uh, Matthew passage with Herod uh, in the beginning of Matthew uh, is, of course, after Jesus has been born and the wise men have come to him and they leave and Herod does uh, that evil thing uh, of killing all of the firstborn. And there's a passage there that makes reference to Jeremiah uh, in the 31st chapter. Uh, and, and Matthew quotes from Jeremiah a, a number of times. Uh, but this is a, a quote of some Jeremiah's lamentation and some words of comfort to the Israelites uh, after they have been in exile. And Rachel gets mentioned. Rachel is the mother of Benjamin and, um, oh, I wrote it down, Joseph, uh, two of the 12 tribes uh, of Israel and was also the mother of a couple other ones. Uh, and so Rachel is here sort of symbolically as the mother, one of the mothers of the Hebrew people. And here's what it says in Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, and Ramah was one of the staging grounds that the people taken into exile uh, that they went through. They went to Ramah first and then were taken into Assyria. Uh, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. Well, Jeremiah is... <coughs> Quite the prophet. It has a very long uh, book, and I, I am quite certain it's actually Jeremiah's book is the longest book uh, in the Old Testament. I, the Psalms may actually be longer. I, I'm not sure on that, but Jeremiah is a very long, long book, uh, and was one of the uh, one of the three major prophets, uh, and and prophesied for was a prophet for many years uh, in the last years of. Judah, the southern kingdom, and through the exile, and maybe into the restoration, not quite sure if he was alive quite that long, but he had a good long career as a prophet. Uh, and as I said a few weeks ago, uh, probably actually said it back in June, 
uh, when we started looking at the prophets, that the, the prophets that we're looking at this summer, the ones that are in the Old Testament, the three major and the twelve minor, I, they're, they were not popular in their own time. They were not uh, taken very well by the people uh, that they were offering their, their prophecies to, especially the political and religious leadership. They are not in the Bible because they won the accolades and ovations of the people that they were talking to. Uh, if it were up to the people who were alive when the prophets were alive, we would have no record probably uh, of what they had to say. And mostly the prophets at the time that they were doing this, uh, were doing their being prophets, they were mostly ignored shunned, ridiculed, pushed off to the sides, told to be quiet, uh, just not made part of the general conversation because they were saying such uncomfortable things. They were calling the people back to faithfulness. They were pointing out the sins of the people, and most of us don't like to have our sins pointed out and tend to tune out those who are trying to tell us what we're doing wrong. Uh, much, uh, you know, the situation then, not a whole lot different than now we tend to ignore the prophets of today as well uh, because they make us uncomfortable. But the prophets did make it into the Bible. Uh, And as I said, not because they were popular at the time, but they're in the Bible because of disaster, because of this existential disaster and wisdom that was born of a time of anxiety. When the people were feeling very anxious, they didn't know what was going on. This was after Israel was invaded by Assyria in the 700s and some of the people sent into exile. After Judah, the southern kingdom, was invaded and a lot of people sent into exile in Babylon. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. God's home is destroyed. And the people were sent away. And in that situation, in that exile... They were forced to consider their history, to reconsider their past. Because all of the myths that they had about themselves were shattered. All of the myths that the prophets were trying to get them to shatter on their own, uh, and which if they had, everything would have been okay, uh, but they didn't. All of those myths had been shattered. They found through their destruction that God really did not want the rich to keep getting richer on the backs of the poor. God actually meant it when the prophets said to help the poor and to take care of the aliens and the widows and the orphans. And God was indeed very serious about being fair in business and wasn't joking about uh, not cheating employees or not uh, feeding the hungry, not giving clothes to the naked, not giving justice to those who have no power. It shattered the assumption that they had that that said, well, we're God's people. We're God's chosen nation. God called us specifically, therefore we can do whatever we want. Whatever we want to do is therefore moral and right because we're God's people. Not a whole lot different than today when we hear people say, well, God is on my side so I can do whatever I want. But that's not how it works. As God said in the Bible, I've called you as my people so that you can be a blessing to the nations, so that you can be a blessing to the world, not so that you can take 
whatever you want or do whatever you want. And so in the midst of their pain and suffering, these people who had had their way of life and their national and religious identity, their homes, their temple, stripped from them, taken away from them, then, once all that was taken away, then, and sadly, not until then, they looked back on their history and they asked, what happened? Did we do something wrong? During the exile and after the restoration, they asked that question, what happened? Did we do something wrong? If we did, what was it? Where did we go wrong that we lost everything? And uh, during the exile and, and through the restoration, they asked that question and they rewrote their history. And they reformed their faith into the, the Jewish faith that Jesus would have known. And they looked back and they saw that the prophets that they had ignored, Micah and Hosea, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, found that the prophets that they ignored had been right. And they said, okay, we need to put them in our history. And they wrote a more honest history. And it's an odd kind of history, because usually when people write a history of themselves, they take out all the bad parts. They try to make themselves look really good and really impressive and important. And they did a very honest history. I mean, if you read through the historical books, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, the books of the prophets, some of the other stories. This is a, an unvarnished history. They point out the sin. For the most part, they label every king uh, as having done evil in the sight of the Lord and of the people's folly, worshiping other gods, chasing after other gods, doing uh, unjust things, not taking care of the poor. And they point all of that out in a way of, of saying this is what not to do. This is why we lost our country. This is why we're in exile. Because we so failed to keep the covenant with God. Hey, it takes a lot of courage to write that kind of a history, to be that honest about who you are. And Jeremiah was one of the prophets that as, as they were rewriting their history and putting these uh, books together, Jeremiah is one of the prophets that they looked to and, uh, and put in the, in the Bible, and Jeremiah was one of those prophets who was abused in his own time. I, and I wish that I had more time to... To get into that, we could, I, we could be here for a couple hours just uh, on this book, and I'm not going to do that to you. But there are a number of stories in here of Jeremiah being just abused by the people that he's preaching to. Because he was bringing such an uncomfortable message. And this is right before Judah is ready to be uh, invaded by Babylon. And Jeremiah is warning them that this is going to happen if they don't repent. God is going to use Babylon to punish the people. Uh, and so there's some great stories in there of him you know, being put in holes and uh, some other things. And then even just things that he did to himself, wearing this big, heavy yoke to show that this is what Babylon is going to do to you. You are going to have a yoke uh, like this. It's a very physical and dramatic prophet, uh, which is probably you know, one of the signs that he was actually speaking for God. Uh, you may ask that question. How do we know if someone is a prophet or not a prophet? 
How do we know if what they're saying is from God or not from God? And I don't have a really good, perfect answer for that. But one, I think one good test is if the person that you're wondering about, are they a prophet, if they've been on the bestseller list for a few years in a row, probably not a prophet. They tend not to be popular. That's probably someone who's just found a good way to make money. If your prophet is speaking uncomfortable words and being harassed uh, and is speaking the words unwillingly and they don't change their positions when it would be uh, more convenient for them to change their positions, that's a pretty good bet they're a prophet. And that was Jeremiah. He had absolutely no desire to say anything that he said. Uh, And as you read through the book, there are a number of times that he kind of yells at God. He's like, stop. I'm getting tired of this. Every time you tell me to speak, something bad happens to me. I don't want to do this anymore. And God says, well, this is your calling. You have to do this. And so Jeremiah does it. He delivers his, his unwelcome message in those final days of Judah. But then he also, during the exile and restoration, he offers incredible words of comfort to the people that have been punished. So I want to read some of his words of judgment here. This is from the seventh chapter. It begins with a call to repentance and then a story of what will happen if the people don't repent. Uh, And we we have also in our English language a a remnant uh, of Jeremiah. We have the word Jeremiad, this inflammatory inflammatory, uh, rhetoric or speaking style, you know, the fire and brimstone thing, you know, Jeremiah. It's named after Jeremiah, because that's kind of how he preached. Uh, And it comes out in this passage. So this is one of many passages of uh, judgment, but I'm coming out of uh, chapter 7, because this is what Jesus quotes when he's overturning the money changers' tables. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord... Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. That would be the temple in Jerusalem. This is before uh, exile. Stand in the gates of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And say, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings. And let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words that say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, and God says next what it means to do justice, if you do not oppress the alien, the foreigners, the immigrants. If you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. There's a chance for repentance here. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail, 
Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, one of the other gods, and go after other gods that you have not known? There's five commandments mentioned there. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe. That's that arrogance that says we're God's people. We can do whatever we want. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? That's what Jesus quotes. You know, I too am watching, says the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh. There was an altar built to God in Shiloh uh, by, uh, during the time of Samuel, about the year 1050, that the people were wicked, so God destroyed it. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people. And now, because you have done all these things, says the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer, therefore I will do to the house that is called by my name, in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your ancestors, I will do just what I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, just as I cast out all your kinfolk, all the offspring of Ephraim. Then God speaks to Jeremiah. As for you, do not pray for this people. Do not raise a cry or prayer on their behalf, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven, one of the other gods they were worshiping. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, says the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own hurt? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, my anger and my wrath shall be poured out on this place, and human beings and animals on the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground, it will burn and not be quenched. From the day that your ancestors came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or pay attention, but they stiffened their necks. They did worse than their ancestors did. And so you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. It's a bit of a Jeremiah. It's speaking to the unfaithfulness. They're not being just. They're going after other gods. They're not doing their part of the covenant uh, that they ought to. And there was in the, the rewriting of that history during the exile and restoration, uh, editing of the book of Jeremiah, uh, and stylistically and linguistically uh, and theologically, Jeremiah and Deuteronomy are very similar. Deuteronomy is the book of the law. And that's uh, uh, last week we read of Zephaniah and talked about Josiah the king who found a scroll in the temple. Uh, scroll was part of Deuteronomy and he started some reformation of, of the religion. Uh, that was a law given to Moses saying, oh, we've gone astray. We have to 
uh, be more in tune with the, with the covenant, but that Reformation didn't really quite take on. So during this restoration time, as the, uh, the writers of the history and the editors of the prophets and the writers of Deuteronomy are, are doing this, they refocused on covenant. Covenant is a huge part of that. Covenant that was made with Abraham, the covenant made with Moses at Mount Sinai, the covenant that the people were uh, constantly breaking, but which God was always faithful to, always willing to bring the, the people back. These people really, uh, there's a lot of focus on covenant. You get that in Deuteronomy, you get it in Jeremiah, and a number of the other prophets. Uh, and so, Jeremiah in the time of exile reminds the people of covenant. He's reminded them before of how much they've broken it. Now he reminds them of how faithful God is, that God does not break the covenant. Uh, And he even talks of a new covenant to come uh, and says these words that I I think are some of the most beautiful in the Old Testament uh, and, and that I find deeply moving. It's from the 31st chapter. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now imagine that you've lost your country and you're in exile and you're hearing these words. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. That's a promise to give a person goosebumps. A promise from a tender and gentle God who did make a new covenant with, uh, not just with Israel, but with the whole world, with everyone. Uh, the covenant through Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Christmas and Easter and Pentecost, that we celebrate in baptism and in communion. When we say, this is my body broken for you, and this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of all sins. That's, That's that new covenant. That's the fulfillment of this promise that Jeremiah offers. And thanks be to God that we are heirs of that promise. Amen.